Welcome to episode 38 of the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Smith. In our last episode, I shared interviews and segments that were recorded early in the pandemic that shared some insights into what we were thinking in that strange and uncertain time. If you missed it, go give it a listen. This episode will feature segments with some fierce females from our running community. In one more segment from The Vault, Shannon Mulcahy is back to share advice for your mental training that we recorded last spring that should help you to keep training in perspective while you're facing the pandemic. Dr. Rosalind Moore visited to share advice for running strong and healthy as you start a new year of running. I also welcome back three past guests to share their diverse running experiences from 2020. Melissa Simpkins ran the Baltimore Marathon virtually. Ashley Carr attempted to set fastest known time records on the Appalachian Trail, and in some Kim participated in, in a tough virtual distance challenge and then ran the JFK 50 miler in person. Can't wait to share their stories with you. So let's get started. It is my pleasure to welcome the excited Muppet herself, Melissa Simpkins, back to the podcast. Melissa, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Glenn. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to catch up here. I mean, the last time we recorded, you had just run the Louisiana Marathon early in 2020. And yes. at that point, uh, what were your plans for training and racing for the rest of you know spring of 2020? Um, I, I had a lot on my plate. Um, I had a full slate of Corrigan races that I had um, scheduled uh, that were going to lead up to um, the Baltimore Marathon. I had um, the Delaware Half. Well, actually, I think the first thing I had on my schedule was the um, Cherry Blossom 10 Miler was supposed to be on my schedule. Um, that was one of a, my one of my personal favorite races. That was beautiful. This is supposed to be my uh, first year running it, but you know, didn't happen. Um, oh no, no, I'm sorry. Let me back up. I actually uh, the first thing that went down was the um, was the uh, Shamrock 5K, um, and I was training really hard to try and hit a sub 35K. And I was really, I, I was pretty much there. I, I had done it plus um, on the treadmill and was working on getting it um, outside and working on the track and stuff. And I was really, I, I was close and I felt like the excitement of race day was going to, was going to get me to that, to meet that goal. But of course that went down. Then, then I lost. Yeah. About <laughs> yeah. Three something days like of that. Yeah. And then the cherry blossom went down. Um, and then I had the Delaware uh, half marathon on my schedule. Um, I had the Frederick half marathon. I had the Baltimore 10 miler. Um, I think that was, and, and then leading up to the Baltimore full marathon. I think that was 
what I had really like definitely planned out, but I knew there were going to be some other ones that were in there, but those were, yeah, <laughs> I had a pretty full schedule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was quite a blow and obviously all of that got flushed. Yeah rescheduled and of course never happened but uh you know you, you've got this real connection to uh the baltimore uh running festival because prior to 2020 you'd run team relay the 5k and the half marathon previously uh, yeah, baltimore uh, you know, I, i'd done everything uh, except, yeah. yeah except for the full what what keeps drawing you back to this particular event um that was the the event that got me running um really um the uh, group from uh, GBMC that I started walking with um, when I started trying to lose weight in uh, 2016, um, they were training for the Baltimore, um, the, the running festival. Most of them do the 5K. So um, then I couldn't, I didn't know that I could walk a 5K. So I volunteered for the uh, a water spot that the hospital sponsored and that really inspired me i saw people of all sorts of shapes and sizes running this marathon half marathon and decided if they could do it i could do it and decided that day i was going to run the 5k the next year and put this kind of like general like very out there, like maybe one day I'll get all of the medals for the the Baltimore Running Festival. Little did I know that, um, you know, three years later, I would be only needing one more medal. Um, and that was the full. So in July of um, 19, I actually talked to my physical therapist um, about doing the Baltimore Marathon. That was the first person that I really vocalized that to, um, that I'm doing this, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it in 2020. It's, it's going to be done. And once I vocalized it to him, I started vocalizing it to a lot of other people to keep it there in my face that I've set this goal. I'm making this commitment. I'm going to do it. At that point, it's an accountability thing. Yeah. I mean, once you're out there, people are going to be like, so when are you going to do it? It's a way to make it happen. So, of course, you know, uh, I was in on that one, too. And, you know, it's June and, and then in July, they're still thinking about having it that they cancel it. Right. Uh, I was already training. I'm sure you were already training. Um, I deferred my entry to next year. Uh, did you okay. consider doing that? Um, and, or, and just try to run your first marathon elsewhere or delay it for a year to be able to have that in-person event? Um, I'm not quite sure exactly where my thoughts were. I, I pretty much knew in March that it wasn't going to happen. Um, I remember it was towards the end of March and I watched Brittany runs a marathon and I cried <laughs> because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, I, I was like, there was a very slim chance that it was, and just the parallels in that movie to my life, it really made me cry. But, um, I was like, you know what? I was like, I, I had it on a, a, a visor, um, uh, New Year's day, uh, 2019. Um, I had gone to a thing with black girls run where we did a vision board, but it was a wearable vision board. So I had taken a visor 
and I wrote down um, some of my goals for the year. And I put my sub 35K on there. I put the date of the full marathon on there. Um, I put a couple other things. I put rest on there because I'm not very good at taking rest days. Um, you know, and so it, it was written down and I was like, you know what? I wrote this down. I don't care what, if I'm running it by myself, I'm going to run 26.2 miles. I said I was going to run 26.2 miles on October 17th, 2020. I don't care how it happens. I'm running 26.2 miles on October 17th, 2020. And so I said that I, I just, it was what I was going to do. All of you. Yeah, I must. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, I mean, I, I must say, as I was watching you sort of carry through this training, I'm thinking, I don't know if I could have done it, you know, for my first marathon to be able to do it, you know, without the, you know, sort of uh, event, you know, the motivation of, of people cheering you along and the water stops, the aid, the support, and uh, and also just, you know, the whole event part of it. Uh, but you carried on. I mean, uh, was it difficult for you to sort of continue to have that motivation day after day training for a virtual marathon or in your mind, was it, you know, just as if the event was already in my mind, was like a normal event? Yeah. In my mind, it was just that I had committed to running 26.2 miles on that date. And that's, it didn't matter it, what the situation was, whether I was out there running 26.2 miles all by myself, I was going to do it. I, I ran all those other races that I had signed up for. I ran them virtually um, on the day that I was supposed to run them. Um, I made my own courses um, and I did the best that I could on all of those races to do what I would do if I was running that race. Um, I wore a, a funny outfit. Um, I waved to everybody who was on that, like passed me on the road and I treated them like my spectators. I got some of them to honk at me. Um, my husband, uh, was my water spot, my photographer, my aid station, you know, I, I just made it as real as possible for all of those other races. So I felt like I'm going to do the same thing. It's going to be a lot harder for 26.2 miles, but I'll do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Shout, yeah. Shout out to Al. Uh, he was definitely the uh, Baltimore crew member of the year uh, <laughs> yeah. for all. Of the, he, he went above and beyond to, to support all these virtual events. So, I mean, the one thing about a virtual uh, event is that you can sort of run anywhere you want. You don't have to go out to. Uh, you know, the regular course, sure. you could do it on the NCR trail. You could do loops around your neighborhood to make it easier for, for support. But, uh, you know, that, that's doing it easy isn't exactly your style. So uh, why don't you talk about how you chose to execute your virtual Baltimore marriage? Well, you know, you you saw me go through training. And I, I have to give a, a shout out to Randy Rittenauer for uh, putting my training plan together um, and keeping uh, connected with me through the training. Randy gave me a great plan and that's just what I, I followed it. What his plan said that it didn't matter whether it was raining, if it was hot, if I was cranky, my plan said, you know, this many miles, this, whatever, that's, that's what I did. It was the easiest way for me to 
follow through on my training was to follow exactly what that plan, you know, that plan said. As training got a little bit higher and I was doing all of it on my own, it was really starting to get kind of lonely out there. Uh, those Saturday long runs were really starting to wear on me when I was out there all on my own so much. So um, I did know of some people who were connected with Back on My Feet, which I was supposed to run the race under their fundraising team anyways. So I did know some people that were connected with them that were still, um, they, they were just a group of people who were getting together to run. They weren't with Back on My Feet. I just knew them through Back on My Feet. Um, and I ended up kind of hooking up with them uh, about mm, two thirds of the way through training. And um, I continued to do my long runs with them. And that was that was a very big help to have that connection with those people um, to, to get through the training with. Um, and there was a group of 10 of it ended up being 10 of us who all decided you know what, we've trained for this. We're going to do this. Um, I know that I probably was a little bit of a push to that. There was also another guy involved with it um, that he he was definitely planning on, on doing the race that day as well. And so I, I think the two of us kind of like pushed the whole thing together. Um, and then through that group, it all kind of came together. There was the group of 10 of us that had decided we were going to run the marathon that day. We decided to run the actual day and run as much of the course as we possibly could. Um, and we actually had an amazing support crew who kind of came together to say that, you know what, we're going to be out there and we're going to set up aid stations and we're going to, you know, be there to, get you what you wanted. We had a couple of people who followed us around. We had a couple of people who just set up stations around the city um, to make it as real as possible. Um, and then one of the things that I did, because it's important, an important thing to me, um, it's very important to me to have mileage markers, um, especially in longer races. It's just one of those things that I do once I get up past like six or seven miles, I, I like to touch the, the mileage marker and say, okay, I've, I've made it this far. You know, I knew I wasn't going to have that. So I made mileage markers and drove the course on Friday and hung those signs up all around the city, except until I got to mile 24 and then I ran out of time. <laughs> Um, and that was a big help because the highest mileage that I'd gotten to in training was 22.3, I think. So when I got to that 23 mile marker, I was like, oh my God, this is the longest I've ever run. And it was, you know, it, it was a bit because I was hurting at that point. And so it was, it was good to have those signs. And the really crazy thing is people that um, knew They've found them throughout the city. I, I have like five of them back. <laughs> they were like, look, they take a picture, found your sign, and they'll give it back to me. So <laughs> I saw them for weeks after, and it just made me smile every time I would, you know, run past one in uh, 
you know, in Druid Hill Park or somewhere, I'd be like, oh, there's one of Melissa's signs. And, <laughs> and I would tell everybody about the event. It, it was really a fun thing for a little while. Yeah. yeah. I have to, I also have to give kudos to Ben for um, doing a really good job about creating um, a sense of community with the people who were registered for all the different um races all the different distances they they created this page on facebook and there was a a group of us that really were very involved with cheering people on in all the different things that they were doing this year they came up with the 26.2 mile challenge so once that started there were a lot of people who were very active on the page posting oh hey i did this much you know today and and those of us that were um, running the full on the day or the half on the day, we would still be there cheering them on as they were working through their challenge um, throughout the month. Um, so it was a lot of fun and it really did create a sense of community. I actually have a couple of Facebook friends um, because of that. It's nice to see them keep up with their um, their running. Yeah, and um, didn't you actually win like an award for some of your uh, postings related to this event? Yeah, the so they had several different um, several different contests, and they actually did this for all of the races um, that had gotten canceled. the um, The first one that happened was the Baltimore Ten Miler, even though that would have actually been the last before the Baltimore Running Festival, it ended up being the first. And that one had a lot of activity as well. Um, and there was best costume, best running costume, most scenic view, best start and finish line, uh, after party, a bunch of different things. And I was like, oh, best uh, sign, you know, uh, spectator sign. And I was like, well, you know, typical of my personality, you go big or you go home. So I did them all as much as I could. I don't think I had a good scenic route um, because the route that I ran for the 10 miler, I was trying to reach um, a good elevation without running the actual course. I didn't know how comfortable I felt running the 10 miler course because I didn't know it very well. Um I only ran it last year for the first time. So I just didn't know the route. So I I created a course here around my house and I ran over to Towson and I ran up um, the parking lot to the sofa store, which has a pretty decent elevation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but it's just not, it's not anything. There was really nothing to look at. Um so I didn't have a picture for that, but I did, you know, come up with a great costume, but I also came up with a really good start and finish line. I have to give a shout out to my husband and my son who kind of came up with the idea. Um, my finish line was I ran to Fullerton Elementary and we had a start and finish line that we had created out of PVC piping. And I, I slid down the slide at Fullerton Elementary. Um, and so I won for start and finish for the Baltimore 10 miler. They had these things for the Frederick running festival and the Delaware, but they just didn't seem to pick up a whole lot of steam um, in those things. And I think 
I I ran them, but I didn't have as much um I didn't have as much effort. I didn't put in as much effort into it with those things. When I did Frederick, I was helping a friend run. She had signed up for it, but hadn't trained. So I was really trying to help her get through those 13 miles. I just didn't put a whole lot of effort into running Frederick on the day that they had put it out there. Um, anyways, um, so here we come to the Baltimore Running Festival and they have these contests again. I was like, well, I'm going bigger going home because, you know, it's what I do. Um, so I had my start and finish line. I had my costume. I had a scenic view. I had, you know, I had it all. The uh, email that I got was that um, if I, I won one, it, I'm won more than one, you know, of uh, the um, things. So they just gave me a free entrance. <laughs> Which, if I'm not mistaken, well, they added a 10K this year. If they add a 10K to the actual event in 2021 or beyond, I guess you've got to run that to be able to, you know, say you've run them all, you know. Right, right. Yes, they have added the 10K in place of the relay. Um, So, yeah, I might have to go in and do that in the future so that I have all of the medals. (laughs) But then again, they also have the 26.2 mile challenge. So I might have to do that in the future too. Yeah, they, <laughs> keep, little... they keep pulling you back in every time <laughs> you think you're out, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I have a free entrance. I haven't signed up for it yet. I need to get on that. But um, the really crazy thing is um, I'm not sure that I'm going to run the full marathon for um, Baltimore next year. Um, I still want to run a full marathon and get that whole experience of people being there and in having all the aid stations and crossing a finish line that I don't get stopped by traffic to cross and all that. Um, but uh, a good friend of mine told me about uh, Philly and I have a strong connection to Philadelphia. Um And I'm thinking about doing Philadelphia as my full marathon, full experience. I'm not sure. But I I also know I have a couple of friends who are signing up or have signed up for Baltimore for a full marathon for their first marathon. So then I also have that draw to be there to support them as well. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what you do next there. I, I can see why you'd want to go back home to Philly and uh, and and have that experience there. Plus, it's a, it's a great race from what I understand, though. I, I think I'd rather do the Broad Street run. That sounds like just a complete riot, that 10 miler that they do in, in May, right around my birthday, actually. So oh, OK. One yeah. of these years, uh, I'll have to do that one. Yeah, but I'm, I've got some stuff that I'm looking forward to for when racing comes back. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you had to pick one or two moments from this whole marathon experience, race day or training, uh, you know, what were sort of the most memorable moments for you? Um, that's hard. Um, definitely in training, I, um, I guess it was probably about a month or so out. I, I went through a bit of a, um, a depression. I was probably exhausted, Um, but I also struggle with a little bit of mental health and, um, I think everything just kind of came together just 
isolation and running by myself and exhaustion. And I almost bagged it all because I was just in such a low state. But I guess the one thing I did this time differently than I've done when I've been in a low state before is I actually put it out there. Um, and I was really surprised at the support that I ended up getting from people, uh, people rallying around me, um, really was quite amazing. And, um, uh, I, I had some people come out and, you know, offer to do my training runs, you being one of them, uh, you know, some of those last, uh, training runs and Missy, I can't pronounce her last name. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I want to call her out on here and I can't pronounce her Missy, last name. You, Missy, you know who you are. She knows who she is. She was really amazing. Um, Randy came out and, uh, supported me with a couple of my long, really long runs. And, and that was great. Just, Having people rally around me um, really lifted me up out of that uh, depression and got me back a you know happy, excitable state. Um, I think on race day, um, it was really funny. Um, yeah, you weren't with us any longer, um, and I thank you, I, thank you, thank you so much for coming out and running with me um, for you know the five or so miles that you did. Uh, I had lots of people who popped up on course. Uh, my friend Sarah um, popped up several times, once in a penguin costume, which was hysterical. Um, yeah, we, that was that was great. That was yeah. Um, you know, like I, I said, because like Because you didn't get the, to run through the zoo to see the I penguins. Didn't get to run through the zoo. And I was trying to do as much as possible, make it as real as possible. So I made bibs for all of us. All 10 of us, I made us bibs. Um, and, you know, I charted out the course and I put turn here signs and all sorts of stuff all over the city. Um, but I wasn't going to be able to run through the zoo. So I ordered a bunch of um, uh, flamingos from Amazon and had my husband put them up at Druid Hill Park. And then, like, there on course is, is my friend Sarah in, in a penguin costume. It was awesome. Um, but when we got down further, um, when we were running on um, Light Street, no, uh, Key Highway. So you run down Key Highway all the way down to um, Under Armour and turn around. And um, I'm wearing my crazy, you know, headband, excited Muppet headband that I had made. And we passed somebody and, you know, she's wearing the shirt and so we give her high fives or whatever. And she looks over at my headband that I had posted my outfit on the um, celebration page. And she's like, are you Melissa? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, the signs are awesome. And it was great. Well, then we run a little bit further down um, Key Highway. We get to one of our aid stations that some of our crew had set up. And there were a couple of people who were... Um, on bikes doing Sherpa duty for somebody else. And they look over and they're like, are you Melissa? And I was like, yeah, it's like, they're like, oh my God, the signs, they're fabulous. And Missy was just like, it's like Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> it's like people kept like popping up because like previously a little bit before that, my friend Jill had popped up on course and stuff. And then riding a little, or running a little bit further down, um, I think we were on Alice Anna, um, and this guy rides up on a bike next to me and, um, 
he's like, hey, he's like, I don't want to freak you out. He's like, but we know each other. He's like, you're Melissa, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we know. And I look at, he's like, it's Jason. I'm like, oh yeah, Jason Buck. He's somebody that I knew from some political work that I had done. <laughs> it's like, he just happened to be out riding and he had read my post from the night before about everything I had been through leading, leading me up to that point. And he was just like, I think that this is amazing that you're doing this. So it was just, there was lots of those things that even though it was a virtual event and you didn't get the whole experience, at least I have things that I can take with me. I think the funniest thing was at the finish line, literally across the street. I'm about to cross the street where we had the finish line as close to the finish line as we could. So we had it in McKeldon Square. We had, you know, people were holding up the finish line that we had made. And so we're on that median strip um, at where Pratt and uh, Light meet. And I'm about to just step out. He reaches out and says, stop! Because the light had changed. <laughs> and that's a really long light. And so we were sitting there and like all these people are over there with the finish line. I'm like, do, 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 do. Like, I can't finish this damn race. <laughs> so, you know, it was frustrating at the moment, but I laugh about it now. <laughs> so, and it just ended up being a little anticlimactic. Yeah, it's so close. You can see the finish and you're just sitting there kind of. You know, tap in your watch like, all right, come on, let's go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Melissa, I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, this, uh, I mean, it was it was definitely a real journey, uh, you know, getting to, to this first marathon. So, you know, now that you have that under your belt and, you know, you're maybe you'll do another marathon in your future, you know, what are you working on right now in running or in fitness? Uh, you know, what what's, uh, you know, what's on your plate right now? Um, I, I'm doing a couple of long term, um, challenges with no races, um, you know, on my docket, it's, it was a little hard. Um, when I finished that marathon, that was the first time in four years that I didn't have the next thing ahead of me. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to train because I don't have anything to train for. The one thing I had going for me was I have done now, I'm in my third year of doing the um, uh, run the edge, run the year challenge. So, you know, 20,019 miles in 2019, 2020 miles in um, 2020. So now I'm doing 2021 miles in 2021. So I've had that and I had to uh, get through my mileage um, for the rest of the year. And the crazy thing is you would think that with marathon training, I would have actually been ahead of my mileage for 2020. But what happened was on my off training days, I took my mileage down. I actually learned to take rest days because Randy drilled that into my head <laughs> that I had to rest. So I didn't, fully rest there was i i've been on a streak for 300 and i think i'm on 305 days or something like that now um but i on those off days it was like a mile i would only walk one mile to keep my streak alive so i took my mileage down so much that it actually put me a little bit behind where i should have been um 
at the in the middle of October. So I had to uh, ramp that up a little bit. I did a lot of cycling through the rest of the fall just to kind of pick it up and not have to put that much extra mileage on my legs. So anyway, so I am doing it again twenty for 2021 to keep myself with something to look, look towards to train for. Um, I am also doing the Zuma Run Club, which is a women's only uh, running group. Um, they do a lot of, um, you know, distance races um, or vacation races. Um, of course, none of those are happening right now, but they are doing this run club where, you know, you set your mileage. So I decided to set a goal of 1,000 miles for that. And I'm only going to count running miles for the Zuma Run Club, whereas opposed to the Run the Year Challenge, I do running, walking, cycling. Um, I kind of have like a I, anything that I do intentionally on my feet, I count for that. So Zuma Run Club, 1,000 miles, because I figured out at the end of 2020, I had done about 960 miles of running in 2020. So I felt like that extra push to 1,000 was not too out of the way. And then for the month of January, I am doing the Believe in the Run um, Winter Grit. And I uh, set a goal of 150 miles for that. So that's a... That's a lofty goal for me for a month um, of running in the winter, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm already 15 miles in. <laughs> there you go. I, I know you can do it. it. Once you set a goal, uh, you tend to uh, achieve it. You know, that's just, that's something you do. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, it was really great having you on to share, you know, this whole experience, which was much more than just a one day uh, race, uh, you know, getting to that first marathon. It's been really a four-year journey that you've been on to get to that, and uh, it's just yes, the beginning. It was. It was. So, it was. It was a journey, and I, I it's. I have a lot of pride in myself for committing to that and going through it with all the craziness that I had to go through. But I, I have to say, I. It, it really warms my heart. All the support that I ended up having at the end was just, yeah, uh, made me realize that I um, mean a lot more to people than I ever give myself credit for. Yeah, it, it was really great to see. And, um, you know, we were following you even when you didn't know it. You know, we, you were definitely the talk of a lot of us. <laughs> it's like, do you see what Melissa's doing? Well, check her out. So yeah. if if the audience here wanted to follow along with your many adventures, online how could they do that uh they can find me on facebook um Alyssa simpkins uh they can also find me on instagram though i haven't been posting on instagram so much but uh excited muppet is my handle um on uh instagram um i think that with the the zuma run club and the uh winter grit challenge i'll probably be a little bit more active on posting things on instagram just, you know, kind of after the marathon, I kind of died down with that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I do like to, you know, post pictures and stuff about my runs and training because I do hear from people that they tell me that they find it inspirational. So if I can um, help one person get up off the couch, then I feel like I've done what I set out to do. 
Yeah, you're definitely a good follow. I mean, you it, it de- you definitely look like you're having a lot of fun as you go through, uh, you know, even a, a seemingly simple run. Uh, you know, you might take a, a spin on the swings. You might, you know, make a funny sign, wear a funny shirt or hat, you know, uh, so... Definitely Today a good I follow. Sat on somebody's hippo that was outside of their house. <laughs> you know, whatever you can do to make it fun and, and have a good time with it. <laughs> All right, Melissa. Well, it was a pleasure having you back on the show, and I hope to see you on the run soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Glenn. I'm glad you're bringing this back. I'm excited to hear it. For this week's session of Strong Mind, Stronger Runner, I want to welcome Shannon Mulcahy back to the podcast. Shannon is a specialist in mental performance training. Thanks for coming on, Shannon. Thanks for having me. So what are we going to chat about this week? Well, with everything going on, I thought this would be a very appropriate time to talk about dealing with uncertainty, in particular, the idea of controlling the controllables. I've been seeing on the news, which I'm actually very grateful that the news has even discussed this at all, Uh, but this idea of controlling what you can control and not spending mental energy on the things that we can't control. And while that is, as a concept, extremely helpful, uh, it's a very good concept, it's sometimes hard to put that into action. So I thought I would go over a little activity that I've had my athletes been doing. And I've actually, this is an activity that I've had them do not just when we're dealing with a pandemic, but just in general, when we're feeling stress, when we're feeling anxiety about things that are out of our control, when we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and not sure what to do. So the activity is really just writing down what we can control and what we cannot control, which right? Not like not groundbreaking idea, but when we are writing these things down, what I will have my athletes do is take out like two separate pieces of paper or take one piece and rip it in half, have them separate and start by writing down what you cannot control. And, you know, for right now, I I typically have people do it around like a certain topic. Although right now, like everything in our lives is up in the air, but it can be helpful to narrow it down a smidgen or even just say, I am dealing with a lot of uncertainty regarding life in the like with the pandemic. So we're trying to eliminate, you know, stuff that's two years down the line. Let's that's we got to give some type of like structure to it. But it can be, you know, writing down. I cannot control the weather. I cannot control my spring and summer races. Maybe you can't control what's going on with your work. I know, you know, some people are still having to work. Maybe they're, you know, they work at hospitals, they're in healthcare, grocery stores, even just supply chain people. Some people are still working and that is out of their control. Whereas, you know, some people are at home and that's out of their control, whether they're at home with their kids. So getting clear on those things that are everything that's out of our control right now. And then on the flip side, it's, you know, taking that other piece of paper and writing down what is in your control. And this is the one where people initially tend to struggle because we we hear often, you know, oh, we can control our attitude. We can control our effort. We can control, you know, how we respond to a situation. And while, yes, that is true, those are not tangible things. So when you are feeling uncertainty and someone's telling you, oh, just control your attitude, 
you might not know how to do so, or that might just not be enough of a direction for you to go. And you're still going, I'm not really sure what I should actually be doing. And this is all about taking action steps in what we do, what we think. So we need to have more of a clear path and just like think positively or have, have a better attitude or, you know, control your effort. So this is where I want people to write down, you know, with what's going on right now, it could be you can control how much news you are watching, how many hours a day you have the news on your television or how often you're checking social media, what you're checking on social media. Uh, For everybody right now, it's very, very different for like who has the ability to get outside and exercise. I'm really lucky in that where I live, I have a trailhead very close to me that has been pretty empty. So I'm still able to get outside and run on trails, run in my neighborhood and not physically be near other people, but not everybody has that luxury. So getting clear on, can you control getting outside to run? Do you have a treadmill? Do you have kids at home? Can you control, you know, their structure throughout the day? You can control when you go to bed to some degree. And I don't spend too much time going over eating stuff with people because that can be a little bit of a trigger for eating disorder people, but, uh, or just even disordered eating, but you know, when we eat, what we eat, are we eating healthy food? Are we not? There's so many things that are within our control, but we have to get really clear on what those things are. And then, you know, just looking at those two lists and I ask people then to always give, you know, like a rough number to, each list of like how much of your time, how much of your day would you say that you are spending thinking about thinking about or worrying about things that are outside of your control versus the things that are within your control. And usually the number is strongly in the in the favor of I'm spending time worrying about things outside of my control. And that's what we see happen when things are uncertain. We just tend to go to worrying about things outside of our control. And so by by switching our focus over to that list of what we can control, it gives us a sense of like autonomy. It gives us a sense of power in this situation. And that's so, so important because all of those things that are outside of our control, they're still going to be bothering us. But if we're putting a larger effort on controlling something and do being intentional about what we are doing in some capacities, it's going to shift and remove some of that just natural stress and anxiety about that uncontrollables list, it's just going to free up some of that space. And it just allows us to just be clear in what we're doing. It makes us feel way more productive. It, it, you know, it gives us more headspace. And the last thing that I have people do with that list is write out for the things that they can control I'll have them actually write out tangibles for what, not only what they can control, but like what they can do about it. So maybe it's, I can control how much, how many hours a day I have the news on the television. And then we take it a step further and go, how many hours would you like to have the news on the television? Or maybe you don't even want to get your news from the TV and you want to get it in email form where they just send you the highlights. You know, it's not just enough to say, oh, these are things I can have control over, but what do you want to do with that power and with that control? And then, you know, the last piece of this really is looking at that uncontrollables list and seeing, is there anything, even if they're outside of our control, still, what can we do to manage the stress and anxiety that that list might be causing us? 
So, you know, right now, maybe we're not as worried about the weather, but that's something where, you know, I feel like that's just the easiest example to always go like default back to is like we can, nobody can control the weather. So it could be, you know, I'm looking outside right now and it's super windy. It could be, well, no, I can't control the weather, but maybe I can control what time of day I go for my run, or maybe I can control if I run on a treadmill, if I have that option, or maybe I don't have either of those options. And I'm just going to say, all I can do is my best and suck it up and know that it's going to be really windy. You know, so there's still, even with that uncontrollables list, there's still things that we can do, even if it's not, well, I'm just going to turn off the wind. But we want to always default to what can we do in these situations? Because uncertainty and feeling powerless can lead to some really strong feelings of anxiety and depression. And that is not what we are striving for right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it just gave me some ideas along the way. I know a lot of people are feeling a certain amount of, you know, I don't know if grief or loss are the right words, but it feels like grief or loss when races that they've been planning for get canceled or postponed. That's something we can't do anything about. But, you know, can we be you know, working on, you know, we can write down on the list, well, what can I do? I can recover from that nagging injury that I have. I can do physical uh, therapy type activities to, you know, work on that, uh, you know, problem area. I can improve my sleep practice. I can, uh, you know, be ready when that race comes up in the future. I mean, because runners like to play it and sort of obsess over, you know, long-term planning and they can't do that as much right now. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of little things that you can sort of, uh, you know, kind of put things towards more positive. What can I do instead of focusing on what we can't? And I was also wondering what you thought about, uh, you know, maybe doing some sort of uh, journaling or, uh, you know, maybe even like gratitude lists, that sort of things. You know, what do I have with all the things that I've lost or that, that I've given up? Uh, these are the things that are going well or that I'm grateful that I have uh, to kind of reframe, you know, our focus and attention. Yeah, I am a huge, huge fan of gratitude, uh, gratitude lists, practicing gratitude, you know, whether you like to write it down in a list form or not, that's really personal preference. But spending time identifying and listing out, you know, even mentally, just the things that things that we are grateful for, it is the research behind it is so, so fascinating of what it does for our brains. And like the the chemicals that it's releasing in our brain is so, so fascinating. But even, you know, even if you're just saying like, you know, today, today, I'm grateful that I'm having coffee, you know, it doesn't always have to be big things, but even just training, it's, it's training your brain is what it's actually doing by routinely listing out the things that you're grateful for. Even if, you know, no matter how big, how small, some days it might be, I'm really grateful that my entire family is at home safe and they are not, you know, they're not out risking their lives, they all have the ability to work from home. And I'm so grateful that they're not in harm's way. That could be, you know, that's a pretty substantial, like that's a pretty deep thing that you might be grateful for. And then tomorrow it could be, it's maybe tomorrow's a harder day. And you're like, oh, the only thing I'm grateful for right now is like nachos. Like that's fine too, but it's training your brain to look for the good. It's training your brain to not be constantly searching for all of the negatives but the one thing that I will say that you brought up a little bit with people being, you know, upset or experiencing grief over loss of races, as much as I think that gratitude is, is super, super important to practice, even when we're not in a pandemic, uh, it is okay to experience that grief, the grief and loss over 
race is not happening. And I know a lot of athletes right now are struggling with, yes, they feel that grief, but it's not even just that they're struggling over feeling guilty for feeling grief over losing a race because there's people dying. There's people risking their lives. There's people that are unemployed and can't afford to get food. And then you're feeling sad about not running a race and it's very conflicting emotions and it is okay to have conflicting emotions. People don't always do the greatest job of understanding. Like you can be really sad about something in your own life and also be feeling a different way about like the whole rest of the world. Like we can have lots of different feelings and emotions all at the same time. But especially for the people that we're training for like Boston, which is supposed to be in a couple weeks, uh, people that had races that were pretty soon that you already put in a lot of the training for, it is normal and it is okay to experience grief, sadness, loss. We don't want to wallow and spend the next two months being angry and upset and sad about it. Uh, that's not going to be good for our mental health in general, but it, I don't want people to beat themselves up because something that they really cared about and put a lot of energy and effort towards, especially thinking about people that this was supposed to be their first Boston where they put in all that time and effort to qualify and now it's taken away from them. And even if it's postponed, it's still in the, in the immediate taken away from them. They should not feel guilty in the slightest for being upset about that. Your life has been affected. Something you put a lot of effort into has been changed. It is okay to feel that, that loss, but give yourself like a week, give yourself a little bit of time to wallow in that. And then we move on and then we start practicing that gratitude and we start looking for what we can control and we work on getting out of that sadness mental space. Yeah, that's uh, great to, uh, advice there, Shannon. And uh, we've definitely got a lot to think about in general during uh, this pandemic. But, uh, you know, hopefully through this discussion, we've come up with a few ways to to kind of reframe our thinking and, and try to make things a little more productive. So I appreciate you sharing that advice with us. Uh, just as a reminder, how could people get in touch with you if they wanted more information on mental performance training or to avail themselves of your services. So you can find me on Instagram or at my website. They both are Mulcahy Performance. Uh, so my Instagram handle is at Mulcahy Performance and my website is mulcahyperformance.com. And if you guys have any uh, questions or like recommendations for anything during this pandemic or this crazy time that you want me to answer questions or go over any topics in particular, uh, let us know and I will definitely make sure to answer questions or go over anything that's, you know, specifically helpful to you guys. All right. Well, that's great. And thanks for offering that, Shannon. Uh, we'll talk again in a couple weeks to share some more uh, mental performance tips. Sounds great. I want to welcome trail and ultra runner Ashley Carr back to the podcast. Ashley, thanks for coming on again. Hey, thanks for having me, Glenn. Yeah, uh, it's great having you back. Uh, the last time we spoke, you and your husband, Brian, had just completed the 2019 Bigfoot 200-mile race, uh, one in which you had broken your foot about halfway through the event and still finished. Uh, so you had a recovery process there in late 2019, early 2020. How did that go? It went really well. I think um, I was enjoying the boot the last time that we talked. Um, and I, I took a couple of months to recover from that and started getting back into the swing of things uh, probably around this time last year. 
Um, so it, it, it was tough, but a much needed, um, break to get strong again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it gives you time to sort of take a break from running, but maybe work on some other fitness things that, you know, sometimes we let laps when we're running. So, you know, at this point last year, you know, right at the beginning of 2020, I'm sure you had some goals for training and racing before, you know, the pandemic began, uh, you know, what sort of things did you have planned that didn't end up uh, happening? So um, I, I didn't actually have a lot of big races planned last year. I had a couple. Um, most of them were local fat asses um, that, you know, I, I do every year. But the biggest thing was the cancellation of Tahoe 200, which was what, you know, my main goal was last year. Um and I, most of the, the training that I had planned up until that point was just doing runs on my own, like back to back adventure running. So, um, thankfully I didn't have a ton of races canceled. Um, but a few. Yeah. And, and Tahoe 200, that's another one of the Candace Burt 200s out West. Uh, and to go all the way around Lake Tahoe, I've heard that's a, that's a pretty fun one. Do you think you'll try to do that this year or next, uh, to make oh, up yeah. for it? <laughs> I deferred, so I'll be doing it this year. Um, I already have my Airbnb bought. The only thing I got to do is uh, buy my plane ticket. So we're replicating the same exact trip that we had planned for last year. Oh, wow. That's great. So, you know, with this sort of gap uh, in, you know, no races really going on on the road or even on the trails, um, you decided to take on the challenge of establishing an FKT or fastest known time. Uh, on a 110-mile Appalachian Trail section in Shenandoah National Park. Uh, what was it about this goal that sort of spoke to you and made it, uh, was something that, you know, inspired you to take it on? Well, I hadn't really thought about the whole idea of FKTs. You know, for, for me personally, that seems like um, something that really, really fast people do. So it it's not even... Uh, never crossed my mind until um, early summer last year when my friend Sheila um, asked me to come out and pace her for her FKT attempt for the fastest known time for the Shenandoah Appalachian Trail route. Um, And I paced her for the last 40 miles and she crushed it. She got the FKT um, in just under 26 or 27 hours. And you know, I thought, well, I would love to attempt something like this, but there's no way I could beat her time. So I'm just going to try for the unsupported category um, because nobody wants to do that because it's too hard. Um, so I I know I can accomplish that. And, and that's when I started thinking about it. So what sort of preparations were necessary to, you know, get ready for taking this on? Because uh, you did it in July you know, middle mm-hmm. of the summer. And you, you, as you said, you did it unsupported. So, um, you know, talk about how you prepare for that and what sort of things you have to do to, to be able to reach that goal. So that's what, that's what makes an unsupported FKT so special is, is the preparation. Um, you can't go out there and just, um, blindly run it and rely on a crew cause you are your crew. You're, you're everything. Um, you have to be, um, prepared for whatever comes your way. You have to know 
the route very well. Um, you said it was late July, it was super hot. Um, I had to know where water sources were. So um, the way I prepared for this run without giving away too many of my secrets. Right, of course. <laughs> um, I researched the route a lot. Um, I spent some time training on it. I scouted out water sources. Um, I created my own GPS map on the Gaia app um, with um, water sources. Um, and I trained so I could carry all my food. My pack was mm, almost well, about 15 pounds when I started, which is pretty darn heavy. Um, so just making sure that I had absolutely everything and knew the route well and knew what to do without any help whatsoever. Yeah. So definitely a lot of planning. And when you say knowing where water sources is, this isn't knowing where water fountains are. You're talking no. about knowing where rivers are that you're going to right. take water from the river, I guess, purify it in some mm -hmm. way and have, you've got to carry stuff to be able to do that. So yeah, yeah that, there's definitely a <laughs> lot of preparation necessary to make that happen. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how it went for you? Um, it was extremely difficult. Um, in so many ways that I didn't even anticipate. Um, it was, it was very, very hot that weekend, super humid. Um, the kind of, the kind of weather where it doesn't matter how much you drink, you cannot stay hydrated. And that's, that's what happened for me. And I don't typically have too much of an issue staying hydrated, but, um, I, I did my best all day to, to drink and do well with nutrition. Um, and by the time night came around, um, I had had a great day. I was moving really, really well. And um, I just started feeling so sick once the sun went down that night. And um, I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. If I took a sip of water, I, I couldn't even swallow it. I had to spit it out. So um I went through about a six or seven hour period where I was just trying to decide where I was going to quit and how I was going to um, tell my the people that had come out to support me from afar <laughs> that I was going to quit. Um, and I don't know what happened. Um, I, I didn't quit. I, I made it through the night. Um, I... I kept telling myself if I just if I just keep walking and keep putting one foot in front of the other and maybe trying to take a bite here and there that things would turn around for me. Um, even though I was, you know, when you feel sick and it feels like it's just never going to end. There's just no way out. I that's where I was. Um, and by the time the sun came up that morning, I thought, okay, well, I think I can eat this sweaty nasty sandwich that I've been carrying for the past like 20 hours like I think I can take a bite of it um and I took a bite of it and and gradually I was able to start getting food and drink down again and and pick up the pace and was able to um to to keep going and and finish later that afternoon but um it was it was it was probably one of the hardest runs I've ever done because I've never ever, um, been so close to quitting, um, 
when, when I started feeling really, really bad and had made that call that I couldn't keep on going, I had about 45, 50 miles to go. So I was only halfway through and just, I couldn't wrap my head around, um, completing the run, but I mean, you suck it up. I didn't, I didn't do all that planning and training to just go out there and quit. So. Yeah, and this is definitely the story of ultra running right here. Yeah. You know? It's like, you know, yeah. you don't know where it comes from, but you're just able to rally and and just sort of overcome, uh, you know, these obstacles to just keep going when, you know, 99% of everybody else in the world would just say, uh, no, this is yeah. terrible. I mean, in, in this, you would figure in July night would be the best time because you'd get a break mm -hmm. from some of the heat and, and yeah. to not get any break during that time had to be pretty tough. Um, did you take any like naps or anything like that? Or did you push through straight the whole way? Cause uh, you know, you're in sort of a tough spot there time-wise um, yeah. you know, where you could, plan in some naps or not, but, um, you know, so how did you approach that? I wanted to, I, I remember about 24 hours in, um, and it was maybe a couple, it had to have been a couple hours after it, it got dark. Um, I started feeling really, really tired and I don't normally nap or even think about napping in a hundred mile, um, anything under, you know, 30 ish hours. I don't need to sleep. Um, but I did hit a place where I was just exhausted, I guess, from the heat of the day. And I said, okay, I'm going to lay down in this parking lot at Millium Gap off of Skyline Drive. Um, I know the concrete will be nice and cool. Um, and so I took my pack off and I laid on my back in the parking lot and looked up at the stars. It was beautiful. And uh, I just really wanted to lay there maybe for 20 minutes or so. And I think I lasted 90 seconds before I just thought, you know, this is dumb. <laughs> I got up and, and kept going. Um, I don't, I don't sleep really well. Um, in when I'm running, um, and I, I have had a lot of trouble doing this with, with the two hundreds. Um, I just, I can't do it even though my body wants to, I just, I can't fall asleep. So there's just really no point in even laying there. Yeah. So uh, what would you say was your most uh, memorable moment, uh, you know, in establishing this FKT? I mean, other than just overcoming, uh, you know, that those rough times overnight. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a tough question. Um, I think one of the most m memorable moments was, when I, when I made that decision that, okay, I'm no longer going to think about quitting. I have decided that I will finish. Um, and that was right after the sun came up. Um, I was probably five or five or six miles before, um, Thornton gap, um, which is one of the entrances to, to the park. Um, and and once I made that decision, it was like this huge burden was lifted off my shoulders um, and that I didn't have to kind of do the back and forth in my mind that I had been doing all night long. Um, and it was just, you know, at that point, it was just, you know, finish, <laughs> just keep, keep moving. And um, it felt so good to, to give up um, the lack of hope. And, you know, start, start that day, um, with a refresh, like new sense of, okay, like I can do this and I, and I will. 
you know, the sun comes up, it's a new day and it was a new race for you or new event for you at that point. You mm-hmm. just kind of took it as a, as a time to restart and, and begin anew. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, how long did the um, this 110 mile FKT unsupported take you? It took me, um, I think it took me 39 and a half hours. 39 hours and 45 minutes. It took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, again, tough conditions. It's not an easy, I mean, the Appalachian Trail doesn't really have easy parts. Uh, no. You know, and, uh, and of course, the conditions made it pretty tough. So that's a fantastic uh, accomplishment. And so how long was it after achieving the one-way FKT that you decided to... <laughs> Do both directions and, and go all the way out and back. <laughs> um, well, it wasn't long. Um, so I knew that there was a possibility that that Tahoe 200, which was um, for the second week of September, I knew it was a possibility that that would get canceled. And so I was just kind of playing in the back of my mind, um, you know, what can I do? if like, what's my plan B? Um, and the, so that route is really, really easy to crew and it's just kind of a no brainer, um, to, to do something of that distance in that kind of location. Um, I knew I didn't have enough time to plan like a, a point to point or anything really, really elaborate, but I also wasn't willing to, um, not, run that distance that I had been training for all year. So um, I think about a month um, before Tahoe um, was supposed to happen, which is around the time it got canceled. That's when I decided. So a couple of weeks, <laughs> it must have been a couple of weeks after I finished the, the unsupported. Right. Uh, and this time you decided to do it with support. Uh, yeah. You know, I I can't imagine what it would have taken to be able to do it 220 miles with no support having to carry all of your food oh, no, uh, thank you. supplies was, yeah. and, and you have to sleep. So you'd probably need a bivy and the whole thing, you know, it would yeah. be, that's too much. But Maybe next just, year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's always, there's always, uh, you know, someone's got to do it. I suppose it could be you. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about how that went uh, in October. Well, uh, it went really, really well. Um, and it, even though it was on the same route, um, as the, the hundred, it was a completely different experience. Um, the, the unsupported was very inward. I was alone. I, you know, everything was coming from me. Um, and the 200 was the complete opposite. I relied heavily on a handful of good friends to, um, generously give me, you know, four days of their time, um, to crew me. Um, the weather was really great. It wasn't really cold. It was just kind of really nice running temperatures. I didn't have any rain. Um, I felt great most of the time. I didn't like break my foot (laughs) on this one. Um, it just planning wise, it went super smooth. And I, I never really had um, any of those extreme dark moments um, like I had had on the unsupported. Um, I think that was probably had a lot to do with the, the crew um, and just having those distractions there. But um, yeah. 
in uh, a supported FKT, can you have someone pace you or be like a safety runner uh, mm -hmm. to join you in certain sections? And if so, did you do that? Oh yeah, yep. So I I had a lot of people come out and pace. Um, I think I picked up my first pacer around mile. 80 around mile 80. So I did the first 80, like the first day and a half um, by myself. Um, Cause it was a little much, I think to ask people to come out and pace. Like when I started on a Wednesday <laughs> um, and I had, I had pacers with me most of the time until the finish. Yeah, that's great. And uh, so, you know, do you feel like that uh, was a pretty good substitute for, you know, Tahoe 200 for at least this year? Did it give you some of that similar experience, at least having people out there with you this time? Did it kind of remind you of that race feeling? Yeah, yeah, it did. And um, but I think when I do things like that, um, I don't know if that like a race feeling is exactly what I'm looking for. It's um it's more of a sense, especially with the 200 distance of having the opportunity to just be able to explore a whole lot of miles on your feet um, and to create some sort of um, epic adventure. And I really realized this past year that no race has to be involved um, to do that. Is pretty unique experience. Did you find that it was uh, especially helpful this year to be able to spend, you know, four days out there, um, you know, in nature, you know, spending a lot of time in a different setting than what you would normally be during the week? Like a lot of us, you've been sort of stuck inside a lot this year, uh, you know, stuck in a small room at home uh, for work. Uh, was it, Did that make it extra important to be able to go out there and have that time outside? this year oh. more so than others. Oh, ab absolutely. So, you know, I'm one of those people who I'm working from home and I live on zoom. Um, and while I love my job, it also eats my soul a little bit. <laughs> um, and to go out there and completely lose my sense of space and time um, and to just get lost in, in myself and, and in my own efforts and my own like desires and um, my need to, to get in that, get in that state where really basic things are all that matters um, is a, is a really big deal for me. And, and that happens on such a great level with something like a 200, but even, you know, going out and running a 50 K in the woods, you know, when you, when you are focused on what am I going to eat next? Like what um, do I need to slow down here? Do I need to put my jacket on when, when we can connect with ourselves on this kind of almost primal level um, it taps in at least to a part of me that I really need to um, pay attention to sometimes. <laughs> So obviously you're, you're thinking of, you know, you're definitely planning on going back to traditional races uh, this year, like Tahoe 200. Do you think that uh, there's still going to be a place for FKTs or solo adventures like this in the future, even once things get, well, back to normal, whatever yeah. that is? I don't know. Um, I, I would like to still think about some of those things. Um, I'd love to 
uh, say this now, but please smack me if I try to actually do it. I would love to try to beat my unsupported, um, which I, I think I could really um, take, you know, four or five, six hours off of it if I did it in the fall. Um, but yeah, I think people, at least, well, I can speak for myself and, and a handful of runners that I've spent a lot of time with this year. But I think that um, a lot of people have connected with running in a different way. And it has opened a lot of doors to, to think about things a bit differently. Um, you know, racing is competitive. It provides camaraderie for a lot of, you know, does a lot of things for a lot of people and you, you can create that yourself too. Um, I don't plan to do a lot of races this year because all the people from, for, for all the good races got deferred from last year and I'm completely okay with that. Um, you know, I, I, I plan to, go out and, and keep on doing my own thing as much as possible. Well, Ashley, that was really great uh, sharing these experiences, uh, you know, in planning, executing FKT attempts, giving us a little window into that world uh, as it's sort of a thing that most people haven't been involved yet. Uh, if people wanted to follow your future running adventures, uh, reach out online. Uh, is there a way they could do that? Um, I, I don't know. I might throw some stuff on Facebook here and there, but, um, I, I actually don't use Strava, um, or some of those other, um, sites for, I, I don't know. I don't like running and, and thinking that other people can see what I'm doing. Um, but if I, if I am doing something that I, that I think would be of interest to people, you know, I do, I do throw it out there. Like, um, when I did the 200, I was raising money for, um, a organization called girls in a game. And so I spent a lot of time, um, promoting that, uh, to try to raise some money. So if it, if it's interesting, you'll hear from me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's great to follow along. So Ashley, it was a pleasure having you back on the show. Uh, hopefully we'll run into each other on the trail real soon. Yeah, I hope so, Glenn. Thanks for having me. There are a number of ways that you can connect with the show. You can follow us on the Running Around Baltimore podcast page on Facebook and on Instagram at Running Around Baltimore Podcast. Reach out to share feedback on the episodes and to suggest future guests and segments that you would like to hear. We also have a website at runningaroundbmore.wixsite.com slash podcast. There's a lot of content from previous episodes on the website, including show notes, running routes, and more. It would be greatly appreciated if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts, as this helps others to find the show. But the most helpful thing that you can do is to tell your friends about the podcast so that we can connect with new listeners. I really do appreciate your support. Now, let's get back to the episode. I want to welcome Dr. Rosalind Moore to the podcast. Uh, Dr. Moore is a physical therapist and health coach with uh, Rekinetic Physical Therapy and Wellness. Uh, Dr. Moore, thanks for joining us. Awesome. I am so glad to be here. Appreciate it. So, uh, Dr. Moore, before uh, you know, we talk about your areas of expertise uh, in uh, physical therapy and wellness, um, why don't you share a little bit about your personal experience as, as a runner? Sure. So I come from a family of a very active father. And as far as I can remember, he's, he, he was a runner. So I feel like I, you know, always saw that he was running and I kind of thought, you know, realize how it was a good thing, real popular 
bang of the running in the 80s, especially. And uh, I was always in sports. You know, I played volleyball, I did track, I did basketball in high school. And then I uh, played lacrosse in college. And uh, then I guess I figured, you know, out of college, you had to figure out what to do to stay healthy for yourself. And running came naturally. So I would say I've been a runner on and off most of my life. Unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, you stop running, you get lazy, you don't do it, or an injury happens, and then you never get back into it. But I would say I've been very consistent with my running the last eight years. So I usually, yeah, I usually like to run. I was doing things like, you know, just doing 5Ks. And then I had built myself up to doing 10Ks. And then I decided to to finally do the Baltimore on a thon. And so I was going to do the half and the 5k. So that was my, my big thing in 2017. So I got through that and then realized I do not like running that far. So right now I really just stick to your three to six miles. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And, and I can understand having run the half marathon that year uh, in 2017, it was like 80 degrees when that race started. I can see why that might've convinced you that eh, I don't, I don't know if I need to run that long again. That was a, <laughs> it was a tough day out there, but uh, has your experience as a, as a runner, uh, you know, informed your, your decision to, to work in, in this field of health and wellness? I definitely think my experience as an athlete and um, just being around active people, being in sports kind of influenced the idea originally that I went into physical, physical education and then decided to do exercise science from there and then decided to do physical therapy from there. So I think it kind of kind of all went together. Oh, that's great. So, you know, we're sitting here in early 2021, uh, you know, it's New Year's resolution time. So a lot of people are taking on new running challenges or, you know, just getting back into running shape. So uh, what are some common physical problems that new runners or those restarting their running habit uh, often face? Well, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people think running is just running. And, you know, there's kind of the myth that all you need is a good pair of shoes. And, and it's true, but there's so much more to running that people really need to understand so that they can enjoy running better and so that they can have a longevity of being a runner and so that they can run more healthy. So, you know, definitely a good pair of shoes. And then if you're a female, definitely you need a actual running bra, not just a sports bra. So important. Um, your socks, and then, you know, something that's comfortable on your lower body. Um, you know, if you're a leggings person, if you're a shorts person, anything like that. Um, I think it's also important for people to understand that, you know, there, there's safety aspects. So, uh, you know, wearing reflecting clothing, if you're going out in darker weather, um, not wearing headphones. I know a lot of people really like to wear their headphones, but I'm kind of a person that I really don't wear headphones when I run. I do when I walk, but I don't use them when I run. Um, I like to look around nature. I like to talk to people. I like to say hi to dogs, things like that. So um, I think that's important. And then, you know, looking at your crossroads and uh, being aware of your surroundings, especially as females, you know, who's approaching and any dangers like that. So I think those are the first things you have to think about before you even start running. So, you know, getting yourself prepared. And then the next thing I feel like a lot of new runners face is they'll try to just start running. So they'll go out, put their shoes on and just start running and they'll end up with plantar fasciitis or anterior knee pain 
And um, the most common would be iliotibial band syndrome or ITS syndrome. And then even low back pain and then even a little bit of shoulder. So um, getting ready to run includes flexibility. So you need to be flexible in your um, hips. So your hip flexor region, you need to be able to um, have really good hip extension. So like your hip coming backwards, uh, your hamstrings need to be flexible. So the back of your legs and some things that need to be stronger would be your core. So your stomach, your quads, and your calves. And another really important thing that people don't realize are your feet and your ankles. So a strong foot and a flexible ankle is something you need because um, your foot, you know, goes through a whole range when you're running. And uh, so resistance training, flexibility. And then the third thing would be the uh, motor planning or motor control kind of balance plyometric part of running because you're actually on one foot when you run. People don't realize that you have to be able to balance on one foot. You need to be able to hop on one foot and you have to be comfortable doing that without pain to know that you're able to run. So I would say if you're going to start running, Think about the first things I talked about. So getting yourself ready, your shoes, uh, your bra, your clothing. The next thing would be to start working on your cardio endurance. So making sure you can actually walk like a good 20, 25 minutes at a really fast rate, really comfortable. The next thing is that you're strong enough. So you're working on your core, your hips, your quads, your legs, everything. You're flexible enough. So your spine and your hips as well and um, the plyometric part. So being able to hop in one place. Um, actually, it's really like 90 times. There's this whole return to run program by uh, a guy named Cole out of William & Mary. And he actually wants people to be able to hop 30 times in place, 30 times right to left, and 30 times front to back with both feet and then one foot with no pain. And when you are good with that, then you're ready to move on to your walk to run phase. And from there, you're, you know, getting into the running part. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'll have to check that one out. So, of course, we're not going to give any specific medical advice in this setting. Uh, so that wouldn't be appropriate. But uh, what are some of your favorite training tips or exercises to uh, maybe help those that are um, just starting out to be able to work on those, uh, you know, sort of key areas that you described earlier? Yeah, so definitely um, you would need to you know, check with a doctor or your therapist, or whatever, to make sure that you're ready to get started. And then uh, something that would be important is maybe getting some resistance bands and working on some uh, glute exercises and some straight leg raises with that band. There's an extra, another exercise uh, called a clamshell. Those are always good. And then, as I mentioned, just being able to stand on one foot, being able and doing some hopping on one foot, doing some single leg um, squats. And um, actually, there's actually eight really good exercises or, or skills or drills. And I'll uh, just go over a couple of them. So that would be like your squat, a plank, and a hinge or like a deadlift. So working those all in uh, are really good exercises. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you so much sharing your uh, expertise and your experience with us. Uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about uh, 
Rekinetic Physical Therapy and Wellness, uh, you know, how could they do that? So I'm on Instagram. And so that would be at Dr. Rosalyn. So D-R-R-O-Z-A-L-Y-N. I have a website, which is www.rekinetic physical, but actually rekinetic PT.com. And then my email is Rosalyn at rekinetic PT. So rekinetic is R E K. E-N-E-T-I-C. So it's like re getting started again and kinetic. So your movement, movement forward. And uh, yeah. Well, it was great having you on the podcast, Dr. Moore. I hope that our paths will cross soon in person. All right. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. All right. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend Insung King back to the podcast. Uh, Insung uh, had an interview with us in early 2020. Uh, thanks for coming back on. Thank you very much for having me, Glenn. Uh, so when we spoke to you last, uh, you'd come off of a very successful 2019 running season uh, that you capped off with a sub four hour marathon at NCR. But we also talked a lot about your medical uh, journey in that year. Uh, so before we get talking about running, uh, how has that been going, uh, you know, uh, with uh, your medical situation as you're recovering from cancer? Yes, it, recovering itself is going well, I think. Um, again, I'm always thankful for the help that I got, like the medical staff at GBMC and just like my friends and neighbor and my family who helped me get through that the intense treatment period. And I'm I'm very happy and um, lucky to have those support to be able to feel healthy again. So it's, it's going really well, but you know, I, I'm sharing this little bit more about this cancer journey because there are a lot of um, breast cancer survivors like myself out there. You know, although those active treatment stage is over, I'm still in this like hormonal therapy for the next like five, 10 years. And you need to take this medicine every day. And so there's like daily monitoring on that part too, but you know, I'm, really trying to stay positive like you know I don't want to be so negative like you know my body is not feeling as strong as before anymore because of this medicine and just be miserable about it and as my oncologist said you know the biggest thing that I need to focus on is keep the cancer away and um, kind of navigate all other things under that umbrella you know because there's I mean there could be some side effects of this medicine but I think I'm managing that um, okay. I mean, you know, I just really want to encourage other women out there who survived breast cancer and needs to be on this medicine. Um, um, I really want to give my little bit of advice, you know, keep moving and keep like staying positive. Those two things can do some wonderful things to your body and mind, I would think. So for me, I, I would think that, I mean, it's going okay. I mean, I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> Well, it. and yeah, that's the most important thing that uh, it hasn't returned. And uh, I guess whatever else you have to do to make that happen, it's it may not be ideal, but it's it's worth not having to go through the more severe treatments again. So I'm glad to hear that things have been going pretty well so far. With Thank that. you. 
so, um, you know, early in 2020, uh, I'm sure you, like the rest of us, you had a, a race plan or some goals for 2020 <laughs> before yeah. uh, we knew that everything was going to go away. Uh, so what sort of plans did you have uh, for running or training goals in 2020 uh, when the year began? So right after the marathon I ran in NCR Trail in November 2019, I started searching for a marathon where I could qualify for uh, the Boston Marathon. So there was my training goal, and I didn't want to wait until the fall marathon time, the fall marathon happens. So um, I chose to travel to uh, Duluth, uh, Minnesota to run the grandma's marathon in June. Um, people said it's a flat course. It's um, very beautiful scenery out there. And the weather, I mean, June in Baltimore, it will be hot and humid, but up there, it's very, it's, it's really cool running weather still. So I thought that could be really good, um, the marathon to run to achieve my goal of qualifying for Boston. And um, so I was in the middle of like the, the marathon training coming into 2020 um, before I heard the news that everything got canceled, you know. So how did that, um, did you continue your marathon cycle or did you kind of shift your goals at that point to focus on something else, uh, you know, without that race to train for? I, I just looking at the Strava stats right now, I, I think I actually increased my mileage <laughs> after I learned that um, the, the, my gold marathon got can, canceled with everything else. Um, I really think during this process, especially in late April when school um, got shut down and um, during the first couple of weeks that, um, I mean, nobody really knew how to beat this virus. And, uh, you know, they're like, only a few places are open for their business. And then we are really asked to stay at home. Um, so I really went, so in my mind, I mean, getting upset about not having like this marathon event is not even a good thing for me, you know, just because there are people like really suffering from this virus and the healthcare workers and frontline workers, they are I mean, it's really a surviving and I cannot just whine about just this little race that I wanted to run. It's canceled. It just didn't really vibe. <laughs> it didn't really give me a good vibe at all. So I really took my running back to its like the origin, you know, why I run, because I really want to celebrate this healthy body. I'm able to move and I'm able to enjoy the changing, like, colors in the skies or trees and just like being outside and that's the reason that I run and I can run and I don't even have to use like two hours per day to commit to work and you know so I can probably use those hours in running um, for running so it just naturally uh, my weekly mileage got increased during the time and I didn't have any goal or um, yeah I, I, I could say that I I mean my uh, pro the training program, maybe there was no speed workout anymore, but then I just just kept going outside every day with the kids or without kids myself. Um, and that was a really important part to kind of 
go through the tough time, I think. Once again, it became a very um, useful tool in my life, just kind of navigate. And when everything, everything else is going so crazy, you can still find that complete emptiness in your head to get the clarity. So um, yeah, so I ended up running um, Grandma's Marathon virtually in July in Baltimore, <laughs> downtown Baltimore. It was totally different experience, but you know, I pushed myself that far and just to be able to run a marathon all by myself, carrying everything on my own and um, um, design a course on my own. So um, that much of a running definitely did something. I mean, you know, gave me a lot of strength and endurance and why not, I think. Yeah, I mean, you definitely took a, an interesting path. Again, you got rid of all the specific training, but yeah, your mileage really ramped up. And I, I think my favorite part of seeing your training was that you would combine uh, your kids' bicycle rides after <laughs> school in the evening with your running. So they would cycle and you would run. And it was a way to spend time with your family and still get in you know, a few miles very often you do like a solo run at one part of the day and then you'd run with your kids at the other part of the day. So that was yeah. pretty neat how you did that. <laughs> I just wanted to make it work. I mean, because, you know, there are there are days because I'm always, because just a lot of um, the, the full-time working moms out there, it's a hard because you used to maintain like 40 hours of working hours and sometimes even more if you have deadlines or something. And um, kids are home with you and you're their teachers and you're their help desk for if their Google Meet doesn't work and you need to check their homework a little bit more closely, you know, because there's no one-on-one -on -one time with the teachers like they were doing at school. So, you're also the lunch lady as well, you know, you're yes, serving I lunches am. and everything too, <laughs> you know, every school too, at school, yes. yeah. Like, and I'm a recess monitor and, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, in a way, very um, disciplined this way, because just like I said, like many working moms out there, we constantly playing this, like in your brain, you always play this like Tetris, like you got to fit something in, just one more thing in just to be able to work full time, to be able to take care of your kids in the best way possible. I'm sure that there are many moms who would agree with this one. Um, so it's exhausting that whole thinking process like how can I fit this in so when the pandemic kind of rolled out it was so brutal and I just I didn't know how to navigate this one and I couldn't really walk up to my friend's house and just like you know ask for, for help or have some tea together because everybody said like just don't get together and just like lock down at your house and like this is really awful but I thought what's really important to me taking care of my little family my two little kids and my work is also important i'm you know there are a lot of people who lost their job and um you know not being able to you know get enough food for their families it was just really sad sad situation out there but but i have this job and i have two beautiful healthy kids and i need to keep this as much as i can so you know, some of like, you know, a lot of the internet talk was like, you know, this is a good time to catch up on your um, like Netflix series that you missed in the past or read some books and learn uh, how to cook um, the new bread recipe or, you know, this kind of fun things to cheer each other on. But <laughs> in my case, I couldn't really get to any of those things because my focus was just really on my work. I need to make that work from my home. 
and my kids. And that's the, probably the first thing on my list. And then running that I didn't want to give up. So these are two things. And I try to find all these spots. Like, again, I'm playing Tetris. There's a, there are parts that overlap. I can do things together. Because, I mean, my kids lost all the social interaction with their like, you know, their peers and friends at school, um, taking them outside every day. And this was the best thing that I could do for them, you know. So I take them out on a trail for a little hike and um, put them on a bike and just start pacing them, you know. I think I got actually faster. And then later on, they got into this, like, skateboarding and, um, I don't know, in the, that Lock Raven Drive, it has, like, a little bit of continuous downhill and they got very, very fast over this time because they got good at it. And then, like, I think I, I can get better at running, too. <laughs> so, so we're having fun together that way. I mean, it's not, you know, you're going, like, really fantastic summer vacation and or going to Disney or nothing like that. But that's at least I could do. I mean, at least, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like you, uh, again, found the the right balance for you and you made some memories with your kids. So that's probably worth more than even the running to you. But uh, you're also just by putting up all of, you know, pretty much daily mileage, maybe even higher mileage than you were before. Uh, you know, you're really getting strong there. And uh, then our friends that Believe in the Run started this virtual event over the summer where uh, runners could commit to run either 75, 150 225 or 300 miles in 30 days during the dead heat of the summer uh, called uh, the grit challenge. So um, what made you decide to take on the challenge of running 300 miles in one month uh, as this was significantly more than any previous training month for you? Yeah. um, (laughs) Whoever came up with this idea, I really, really liked it. And, um, and I really like all the guys in the Believe in the Run because, uh, yeah, like I said, like, you know, when the pandemic first started in the running community, too, there are a lot of virtual challenges kind of coming on and off on the Internet. I don't think I joined any of those things because the first reason, because, I mean, I had to learn how to navigate through this on my own. So I was busy. Um, but. Regardless of all these virtual challenges, and I knew that I was running a little bit more than before. Um, so April was kind of like not too crazy running month because, again, I'm trying to figure out how to make it work, working from home and taking care of the kids at the same time. But then when May hit, that this warm spring weather really um, came. And uh, I love <laughs> I love spring and summertime running, really. And this is a time that I really took my kids out more often and I got up a little bit earlier and I even adding like evening running and stuff. So when um, May ended, the Strava gave me this like monthly stats and I was running like almost like 240 miles or something. This is something that I didn't even plan to do. It just simply I started logging my like mileage, even if I'm doing two mile run with my dog or with my kids. I just started, just kept logging in like how many miles I'm running. But then I looked at it and said like 240, I never done this. And like, wow. But then like later on, this uh, it was almost perfect timing too. The grid challenge, summer challenge came up. 
and I looked at the distance options they gave you. And like you said, they're just 300, but one lower than that was 225, which I already ran in May. So I thought if I want to stay on the same level of running, I should probably go with the 225, but it wouldn't feel like a challenge if I do that. So I had to think very, very hard because 300 miles in three continuous days means, I mean, simply like 10 miles on average per day for 30 days straight. So I thought, I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, part of me thinking that like, you know, I blame all these like awesome run the Baltimore runners that I started following on Strava because I saw them doing like back-to-back -back marathon for like five days. And I, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a Johnny Lyons, seven yes. days in a row of marathons. Yeah. <laughs> And um and then um there are other like athletes out there and they are doing like hundred miles per week and I'm nowhere at that level but you know I just get so inspired by their efforts like there's no race um just no nothing in sight right in as, as in terms of like the coronavirus and the running and whatever that we have in um ahead of time that we wanted to plan for. But then they were just out there and just keep running. And I thought, I should really give myself one big challenge by signing up for 300. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it was a big challenge. And I loved it because it was such a hard month. And um, there is no way out. Because if you kind of talk yourself out of it, like, okay, I'm really tired or I'm really busy. My children are cranky, so I can't do this one today. I'll just add more miles tomorrow. But that means you need to run like 20 miles in the middle of a week and that's not going to happen. So I thought, just got to do it, you know, every day, 10 miles. <laughs> it was fun, though. I mean, I really love that experience. Right. And as I recall, I mean, some days you would just do the 10 all at once, but very often it would be, you know, seven in the morning, three at night, six in the morning, four at night, you know, yeah. uh, again, and that's time with your kids. So that was a way that uh, instead of doing a, a long run every day, you know, because 10 right. miles, that's a pretty good weekend long run for most people, unless they're really trading for something. But yeah. do you feel like breaking it up into sometimes two in a day instead of just, you know, 10 all at once, do you think that helped to make it easier on your body? Ten, like eight to 10 miles, it's kind of like my favorite distance when I'm running by myself. I think it just gives me the perfect amount of like happiness. Not, I'm not like a, I'm not feeling too much pain, but it's right, just right amount. Um, so breaking into small chunks, it's kind of like three miles and oh, I'm just ready to run. My body just warmed up. I'm ready to go, but I have to go back into the house and get ready for my uh, afternoon work or, you know, check on the kids. Um, but I could make it like, you know, a little bit more fun. A um, couple of things that I did to make that, you know, work was um, like if I'm like, um, if I ran out of like bread, just one simple thing that I forgot at the grocery store, I can easily do two mile run by just running to the grocery store and don't buy anything else, run in, get a loaf of bread and just run out and just run with a loaf of bread in your hand. Um, and um, other things that I did, uh, yeah, that um, the Strava, the se that's when I found uh, the Strava segment. So 
since you are running the same road, because I mean, during the the month of running, I mean, kids were out of school, and I really wanted to literally run around the block where I live because I don't want to like drive too far away to run like on a trail or anything like that. So um, as I run the same like route over and over, they give you like all kinds of stickers, you know. <laughs> You are like uh, you have this like metal stickers for the like the your PR of this. It actually became very very fun. So if I have like I have to break it down to like two mile thing and you know mind you well take that route to challenge the course one more time to have a little bit more fun because I don't like that necessarily like the two or three mile short run. So there are different ways to kind of entertain yourself that way. So it was okay. Breaking into guessing, three uh, you earned one of those local legend badges. That was something they added during this time where people yeah. were running their neighborhoods anymore. I'm sure you're the local legend of register, probably. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, yes. <laughs> I love those stickers. But those are, I mean, somebody needs to come and break that. <laughs> yeah. So once you achieve this 300 miles in a month, and again, you pick the hottest month, you pick you picked July. Uh, so knowing that you would accomplish that, um, you know, you still had, you know, almost half of the year or five months of the year remaining. Um, you know, you started to look at the rest of the year and people started talking about some of these fall ultras that were still being planned. And, you know, you like the trails anyway, but hadn't run much of it. Uh, how did you get the idea of running the legendary JFK 50 miler when Less than a year before, you hadn't even run a marathon yet. I know. And now you're taking on the <laughs> one of the oldest and most legendary ultra marathons, and not a 50K, but a 50 miler. Uh, what sort of got you thinking about that as your next big challenge? It really, um, <laughs> I know some people jokingly say, like, you're drunk and you're so happily registering for a race that you don't even know about. I mean, my case, I mean, I, I don't drink like that, but you know. <laughs> It was like, I'm probably, I was in some kind of high because I'm like, oh, I just, I run like 300 miles in 30 days. And I really make this like running as my lifestyle and I'm so awesome. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm kind of like walking on that kind of cloud, I think. Um, JFK 50 now holds a very special place in my heart right now, right? Because I ran it. And, but I didn't really know a lot about this race i mean i don't i still i don't know i need to ask like my friend like missy um about other trail races out, out there because i'm I, i'm really new to this world and um don't know many places like to run a trail or just even trail race 50k or 50 miles all new to me but then one day like in august um i was just just scrolling on uh, Instagram and this JFK 50, um, the sign-up page came up and it said, uh, we are planning to um, have this race this year and uh, there are still spots available. And I looked at it <laughs> and I asked some like the local uh, running friends that um, it, about this race and um like you said it's just such a i mean fabulous race um a lot of people have this on their bucket list and uh i mean i thought 
if nothing else is going to happen for the rest of the year, um, at least I can finish this course in 13 hours of a cutoff time. So um, from there, and I, I'm kind of a person that like, you know, just making some decisions by gut feeling and not thinking too much about it. Because when I start analyzing things and think putting too much thoughts into it, I just kind of mess things up. But then this one is like, my heart is in it. I think I can do 50 miles. It, uh, it doesn't have to be JFK 50 miler, but at the time that was the only like available option. Um, so um, I registered for uh, JFK 50 miler in August. I think I registered for it in August, thinking that um, I can take it to the next level, you know, <laughs> just gain some experience of this ultra running and what it's like. Yeah, and uh, you know that that was definitely a big challenge. But you know, you had just done the three hundred miles, and you know, uh, this seems to be sort of your style. Uh, you know, don't take a small challenge; take a big one. And you had already run. I think you ran a a fifty k around your neighborhood or around the Towson area uh, at this point, or were you still yet to do that? That what that actually happened in May. I think that's how my May mileage got so big. Um, so this this also happened because you know my work is at home and my kids' school is at home, so I don't really travel far. And other reason that I stayed really um, close to my house during this this like crazy time. I don't know if you remember the in the beginning of the pandemic or the shutdown happened. There was no public restroom that you can use, and you know all these like friendly like coffee shops they give you like water if you walk in if you run out of water and ask for it and they always you know give you free water that actually became a, <laughs> a challenge one day and I really wanted to use a restroom and there was nothing and I had to run home really really fast because you know area that I'm living it's nothing like you can go behind the tree it's just all the road and and I realized that I may not be able to do long runs like 10 miles away from the house. So so one day um, I just ran just like just a couple of blocks around my house and it was like exactly, it was a 3.3 miles to be exact. It was a 5K loop. And I thought, I like this loop. So one day you go out, do it once and twice. And another day you went there, like you do three times, it felt okay. And during that time you can use your home as an aid station. You know, so um, the the 50k was even a little bit before like a lot of people talking about like a backyard ultra and you know um, because it also came very naturally too. But I wanted to see how many loops I can do because that's another thing that I wanted to challenge myself with, like just the mental like focus. Like, can I do the same thing over and over? And I thought because I'm kind of person like you know run and just appreciate different scenery and you know different places but doing the same place like over and over I don't know how they would make me feel um so that 50k I started the first or two loops by myself um and some friends came up um, to run more than a few loops with me Catherine Phil the flower and Missy and Joe um they came and uh, ran a couple of miles in the middle of it together. And actually, Catherine ran a lot that day with me. And uh, when she left, I had uh, 
three or four loops to go, I think. And it was very difficult because after you're like um, the people who trying to run with you, they're all gone again. And you, you're already like, you know, 20 miles in and you have to do three more loops of the same place that you you did. And it was very challenging. But um, there was also a day that I learned that I can lo- I can run a little bit more than a marathon distance. <laughs> it was fun. That uh, Now I can say it was fun, but it was hard. <laughs> Yeah, well, and so you've been challenging yourself a lot here. And so now you've got this JFK 50. Uh, What did you do to adjust your training now that, you know, you're even going 20 miles further, almost 20 miles more than the 50K that you ran on the road? Plus, you're also having to run the first, I don't know, 15, 17 miles, something like this, or like a pretty good distance on the Appalachian Trail, which is is much more challenging than most of the trails that we have close to Baltimore. So uh, what did you have to do to sort of be prepared for that part? So the, the 80 section of the race, um, um, Pete Mulligan from uh, the group, he had run this this race multiple times. So um, Missy, Catherine, and I, we asked like, and because I thought we thought it's going to be a good day um, to be out there. And so we all out went, went there and just could kind of do the test run of the 80 section, how it's going to be. That really helped a lot because if I didn't know what the first like 50 miles are going to be, probably I would have been mentally destroyed because that elevation um, is just going up to the heaven. Like it just it never ends. You just go up so high. And um, but then Pete. Um, shared a lot of good tips like how to run that AT to finish your 50 miler. Um, so that um, kind of training one day out there that helped, like because I know what I am getting myself into really. Um, but then other thing that I really changed in my training, just one day I went out there to see the actual course. And the other than that, um, just like increasing weekend mileage, that's the only thing that I uh, did differently. Um, also, I really want to say thank you to Betsy Lyons because I've been very, very inspired um, just by her training and mileage. And I know everybody who who know who she is, and that she's really strong runner. And um, and I reached out to her like, you know, I want to run uh, JFK 50 miler, and I haven't. I only ran one marathon, and I'm a really newbie in this world, but I don't know what I what I'm doing here. And she sent really lovely email, what I should do. But in that email was not just about the technical tips or pro runner tips. It was just all about just life in general. It was just so touching and so lovely. And um, but then one of the things that she mentioned. Her first like a 50k and 50 miler, she didn't really increase her weekly mileage too intensely for those, but then she started introducing the back-to-back long runs over the weekend. That's something that I definitely learned from her. So I, you know, run like 18 miles on Saturday, and then you go out and try to do another 20, 22 miles. Um, that's the only difference uh, that I made in my training, and. Uh, the second um, second thing was the nutrition that I needed to learn a little bit more. Um, 
because um, I just don't know how uh, how how to feel during the marathon. And then now we are talking 50 miler, and I heard that uh, you need to eat, and although your body is not going to take it, you need to eat certain things. You need to keep hydrating yourself, and all of that. So I also reached out to Lauren of uh, Live Full Baltimore. She's a coach and a nutrition expert, and I had one session with her and learned uh, how to feel before the race, during the race, and post-race. And that was really helpful, too. I learned a lot. Um, and I trained when I went, when I was doing the training, back-to-back long runs, I had all these like, little peanut butter jelly nuggets in my pocket, and I just practiced with it, too, just eat and run at the same time. So that was a fun thing. That was definitely I've never done because I don't, I don't, sometimes I don't even like um, consuming like gels and uh, goose like while I'm running, but I had to experience, I mean, practice that. So that was the new thing with the ultra running. Yeah. And so training, you came through that, uh, you know, healthy and ready for race day. So let's take us to race day, uh, you know, what it was like for you going through that experience. Uh, you know, it was sort of a strange feeling the couple days before the race. People, there was sort of even a national conversation about whether it should happen or not, uh, because it's about 1,200 people. The numbers were, uh, COVID numbers were just starting to increase. Uh, you know, what was it like being out there that day? And, uh, you know, to share some of your moments, uh, you know, memories right. of that day. I I kind of prepared myself that this may be canceled the last minute too, because who knows, like, you know, we all need to do what we are told to do at this point in terms of the the virus and how to protect ourselves and others. And um but we um the race director put out like almost weekly videos of how we are gonna run this event um safely. And um, that included like wearing masks when you're going to the aid station. Because I could kind of imagine this is entirely outdoor outdoor um, event. And they're already saying like limiting the guests and the uh, like people who was to come and cheer for you. And they kind of like limiting their spots already. So if it's really just runners and aid stations along the way, with the 50 mile distance, it's all going to spread out. Um, so that's kind of what I was hoping because I'm not, you know, one of those like elite group. They like, you know, probably need to run together, like, you know, really competing because my goal was just really finishing. But then it, all the, the the COVID related health protocols they put out together seemed to make sense. And I had to think about it really hard too. I mean, if I had to travel from like out of a state, maybe it would have been different. But then for me, I, I live in Maryland. I can just drive there in, in the morning of the race. So I'm not like crossing three different states to, you know, so I thought I could also go there and, you know, just to participate. And, you know, that's that's how they decided to run it. And you just got to follow the rule every possible way. You know, don't ever break any rule because um, they had like a really long list of things to do and things not to do. So I read those things over and over and I kind of getting a little bit feeling better about it because, I mean, I had to flip that decision many times. Do I want to go or do I not to go? It was very, it was very hard. And then the news that came out in the media didn't really sound so good. And like, why you're doing these kind of things and you all need to stay home. 
but again um it's i mean i heard like the the winner of this race doing a podcast on another platform and he was just saying that you know for some people this is just their life i mean especially pro athletes this is how they make their living and they go to the races and do the things and we are all navigating through this journey like you know how to make things happen while we are keeping everybody safe but again um my final decision that i'm going to go to run this race i mean i even thought about it like if i go to the the finish the uh, the starting line if it seem if things seem like out of control like oh i don't want to go there and i was actually thinking i may just like drive back if things don't look okay but again um i just like as i thought i mean just at the front line they they had a three stage at the time so not, and then it was not even 1200 there were 700 people showed up so it was really well spread out and i mean it quickly like dispersed you know because the course being so long <laughs> so um i didn't really feel unsafe i think i i almost felt like i had a close contact with people um much less than like you know you normally would do in a grocery store and then you still have your mask on so it kind of worked out but like you said the going into the the race day it was just a lot of thinking into that do i need to go or should i cancel you know it was a hard decision yes uh, so you get there, you see that everything, you know, seems to be okay, and 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 the gun goes off for your wave, and 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 on on with the race. Um, you know, how was it for you? I mean, the, this was a big new challenge. This was your kind of signature race for the year. Um, was it more of a physical challenge, a mental challenge, or quite a bit of both? Uh, just so, just share some I of your really, thoughts and moments. Yeah, yeah, I will share a couple because. I thought just like my long runs and I thought I would probably capture a lot of thoughts that's coming and go coming and going in my head because it's such a long race and oftentimes during your long run a lot of a good thinking kind of like happens so naturally but this race I I think I just enjoyed being out there that's it especially the first 15 miles like going into the 80 segment it's nice out there and the, the, the day the race happened uh it was a really good day i know this race sometimes they had to run through the mud and icy trails and all that but the day was like a four, uh, 40 something degree 40 50 degree it was really good weather and it was still beautiful out there and so there were some people from the distance chatter like you know that's their like third third time running this race and like you need to take it easy on the 80 so we kind of like you know all just spread out in a way and and i was the first step 15 miles i was just enjoying the scenery and just like being out there because i wasn't running so fast during the time anyway so i was able to see what's going on around you know, some other runners or just like, just like, you know, rocks and trees and skies. And it was just so nice. And it's like, what well, it feels like I'm, I'm so alive, you know, it's like such a nice day to be outside. So that 50 miles was just that. And I didn't really think that um, it was physically too challenging during the segment, although it was a lot of 
going up the hill and the, that elevation is crazy. And um, but I kept my distance quite um, not too slow, but you know, slow enough for me to enjoy. And I'm not out of breath, and I am still eating my potatoes that I packed. And <laughs> so I try to keep like you know giving myself enough amount of a carb so I can burn it later. Um, and then uh, when it came off of that AT segment, and that's where that whole the whole marathon length of Cieno Canal starts. And I really love that path because it's like NCR, but there is water right next to you all along. And it's just so, so quiet out there. And I even stopped, like took some photos of the water and the, the scenery out there. And so I really had like almost had like mindless running during like the first half of the, the run. But then when I passed like 28th mile somewhere around that time, my gut started hurting. <laughs> that was my first physical challenge. And um and then a little bit later, my feet were bothering me a little bit because the going um coming down of the AT section, there is a lot of like the switchback, the um, there are a lot of rocks and roots, and my my feet were kind of like moving around so much. Inside of my shoes, I think so. It's kind of like really burned in blisters, and I can feel it. So that also came a problem around um, twenty-eight miles or something like that. And I don't know because like the because of pain in my body, and I started feeling bored from there. Like like I need to finish this one soon, but I still have like twenty-four some miles to go, and like oh my god, this is really bad. But then. That like uh, the path is open to like general public, I guess. Although there is not like large spectators are allowed, some people put like a lot like big um, the speakers on their bike, and they were just playing some of uh, the music for us. And I thought that was really really sweet. That's one of my memorable thing because you know this this JFK 50 miler they don't allow put like personal listening device. Um, for the safe, safety reason. So there's no music, no whatsoever, like, right? And um, no AD station craziness or nothing like that. But then there's just like random, like, bicycle riders on the path. They have this, like, huge speaker and just, like, blasting music for the for us runners. So it was really, really nice. And as I was going through, like, 30, 38 this is the part that I started to walk and run. Every mile, I ran a little bit, and I walked a little bit. I ran a little bit, and I walked a little bit. And all of a sudden, I started to hear somebody, like, singing. And I <laughs> I just didn't know. It was not definitely enough from one of those speakers. And I hear this, like, person singing, and it, he got closer to me. And he was singing this, like, the 1990s. I, I don't know if you ever heard Oasis, Wonderwall. And it was that yes, song. Definitely. And uh, <laughs> he was like singing like right while riding his bicycle. And um so and then now he passed. But now I'm thinking, why why does he have to sing that song? Because I have um during 1990s, like my sisters and my brother in Korea, we all loved all the Britpops and Oasis was one of the big bands we all liked. And we thought if they come to Korea, we're all gonna go to the concert together. 
which never happened because I moved to America. And after I moved to America, Oasis came to Seoul. So it was it was so fun, funny because the, my memory of this band was those good memories. But then all of my sisters went to this concert in Seoul. And we are still like sharing good memories. I'm in America, ready to go to work, and they are just ready to do concert and party, you know, their nights out or whatever. But then the following day, I got another call from my sister, and I just ignored it because I had to go to work and I didn't know what, to, I mean, I, I just came back from work. So I didn't know what's going on. And that's how I found my father's, like, just passed away. Sorry, because the, the I don't know, because Oasis had like these kind of things in my in my heart. And, you know, for a long time, if I'm driving someplace, if Oasis comes on the radio, I had to pull over and cry because it was just such a, you know, anyway, sorry. The, the, I was going to, but this is a really memorable moment for me because I, I know some of the ultra runners, like people doing like 100 miles. And so they all sing like in some way because nobody's around you anyway. And you just kind of need to entertain yourself and go through your thoughts through singing. Um, so I'm just like listening to him, like singing Wonderwall in such a deep, low voice without any musical instruments playing along. And I looked around, I was running and there was nobody. So I thought... I got to experience singing along <laughs> this song while I'm running. So I, I started to sing this song really, really loud and just like, okay, this has got to be a reason reason why. And I way all the way to like, you know, all the roads that we need to go, they're so winding and the lights are blinding and I'm just like singing and like there's nobody, but I got to finish this race and my, my, my dad and I miss him every day and you know, it was just like so much love, though, because through that experience, like my family and my, you know, time with my father and, you know, they, all the connection, like out of nowhere, this guy just sings it always is a song. Like, why does it have to be this song? But I thought there got to be reasons. I'm just going to sing this song. So I'm I'm singing. And then um, it was funny because how the thoughts kind of like evolve around this thing. Um, like later part of the song, it comes like, maybe you can come and save me. I don't know if you remember the line. <laughs> there is a part that comes like, you know, because maybe you are the one who's going to save me. But then I'm like, you know what? Just stop. Nobody's going to save me. I'm the only person who can get me, get myself out of this misery. I have to finish this one. Stop thinking and just go. So I just kept running. And um, but then because of the, that song, and the memory just like struck me like that. The after that, all the miles was really just like a gratitude. All about that, you know, thinking about family and friends. And you know, if really I wanted to call somebody, somebody will come and get me. But you know, for the same reason, I don't want to give the. I I don't want to call them. I want to finish this one and then call them. That hey, I finished. You know. Yeah. So. That's how, how I finished. I mean, just really the one memorable thought that came to my head was, was about the song and, you know, uh, losing my dad in a, such a, you know, unexpected way um, and bringing the memories of my earlier, you know, 20s and 30s. It was really odd, but I mean, it just, 
it's a humbling experience because you are you're out there so long by yourself and you can only appreciate um people who always try to take care of you you know even though they, they, they are far away but still their mind is here and their spirit is here with me yeah that's an amazing story and sung and uh you know that I imagine after that song, you weren't thinking about your blisters or your stomach or anything at that point. I mean, it, it wasn't so much a, a physical and challenge as much as, it, I mean, this was a whole life experience that you had as that day went on. Uh, uh, and, and and you brought it home. Uh, it was about, what, 10 and a half hours uh, for a 50 mile yeah. or your first one. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Later on, I, I looked at um, the runcoach.com that I just kind of use. You know, you punch your the profile in, like, you know, what's your fast marathon time, your age, your weight, and the best uh, best pace or something. You just calculate those training program. And I realized, like, when I put – because I wanted to calculate the mileage that I need to um, add up leading up to the, the race day. But then later on, I looked at it. I put my goal time at 10.30, 10 hours and 30 minutes. And I came in as 10 hours and uh, 29, point, uh, 29 minutes or something. So it was really close. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so yeah. to be able to come in so close. So now with that goal achieved and, uh, you know, you've had this me so memorable experience, um, what are you planning for for 2021? Uh, you know, just in training or in racing, if there's some things we're able to do as hopefully things open up a little more. Right. I mean, I'm definitely with you. I really hope things can open up more. I mean, in general, like hopefully we can do more normal things, right? And the race is just one of them. I mean, but um, I don't have any uh, big plan um, for the for this year, I just want to keep staying healthy and keep putting some like positive thoughts into my daily lives and being able to lift others up to, um, I want to do some more of a like volunteer work. And that's kind of things that I really want to do. Um, and I know that I need to stay healthy if I want to do these things. And I'm just going to keep my running um, the way that I did in 2020. And I'm already doing the winter grid challenge, 225 miles this month. And um, I did register for two races so far, though. If they open, those will be my goal races. Um, the first one is Hat 50K. Um, it's in Maryland. Um, they, th this one is also long, I mean, 50K distance. So, And they are limiting the participants to 200 or something, but who knows? They are still planning around it, I, I heard. So if they open, uh, I'm registered, so I'm ready to go for that in March. Um, and in April, I may travel to Salisbury, Maryland for their marathon, if they open again. There are a lot of if, you know, but if they um, if that happens and I'm able to run that race, I won't that to be my marathon goal race this year, again, to go after the BQ time. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be my real thing. What's your BQ uh, standard that you have to meet? I even forgot about that. So I'm still in this age bucket of uh, 
45 and 49, that's like uh, for women of that age group is, uh, what is it like? The qualifying time is like, is it 3.45 or three, some, between 3.45 to 3.50. But you always need to run a little bit faster than the cutoff time to qualify, I mean, really get in. So last time I looked at it, I, I thought if I hit like 3.40, between 3.40 and 3.45, I would be in a kind of like uh, safer zone. But... Who knows, like, you know, we, nobody knows when the Boston Marathon is going to come back to normal, like having that many athletes in the field. And we don't even know the the, the postponed September one, if that's going to happen, like, you know, later and how that's going to happen, we don't know. So who knows? There are people getting only faster, you know, like, you know. <laughs> so I don't know if by the time it opens, um, what's going to be my safe qualifying time? Nobody knows, but um, at least I can... I can try, you know, to run the fastest marathon that I ever ran. You know, that's another thing that I found it's really hard to do virtually. I ran three three marathons in 2020, all virtual. Two of them are virtual ones and one just like a voluntary one. I'm just going to go outside and just run 26 miles. But it's hard to keep like a certain pace, like 26 miles. And I... I mean, I'm happy if I can just finish like, you know, 430, you know, so I need a race to get the fastest marathon time that I can get. So we shall see. So I'm not talking too much about those two races because who knows if that opens or if it doesn't, you know, it's the same. I can still go out, just run. Yeah, well, that's great. And so I really appreciate you sharing all of your experiences training and racing from 2020 with us. Uh, you know, you share a little bit online. Uh, would you mind sharing uh, your socials with us in case anybody wants to uh, see what you get into over these next few months? Yeah, I share um, my weekly running on Strava, although I'm not really active on Strava these days. But I also have Insong underscore runs on Instagram. And when I have some good thoughts coming to me after the run, I try to capture it on the platform. Um, so those are two places that you can find me. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate it, Insong. It was such a pleasure having you back on. And, uh, you know, we'll have to catch up uh, later in the year and see how things have progressed for you. Oh, great. Thank you so much. I said, Daddy, what am I to do? Be the very best man you can And when you're gone, make sure they don't remember you When it's all said and done, they're gonna know my name When it's all said and done, they're gonna know my name Before we wrap up episode 38, I want to thank those who helped to make it possible. Thank you to Melissa Simpkins for sharing your experiences training for and running the virtual 2020 Baltimore Marathon. You can follow her on Instagram at Excited Muppet. Thank you to Shannon Mulcahy of Mulcahy Performance Consulting for sharing your advice on mental training. Give her a follow on Instagram at Mulcahy Performance or go to www.mulcahyperformance.com for more information on her practice. Thanks to Ashley Carr for sharing your experiences on the Appalachian Trail and congratulations on setting two incredible FKTs. 
Thanks to Dr. Rosalind Moore for sharing advice for staying strong and healthy as we run and train. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. Rosalind and on her website at ReKineticPT.com. And thanks to Insung Kim for sharing your experiences with the Summer Grit, and congratulations on running your first official ultramarathon race at the historic JFK 50 miler. You can follow her on Instagram at Insung underscore runs. A special thank you goes out to the Kelly Bell Band for the use of your music in the podcast. Go to www.kellybellband.com for more information on this incredible band and buy some of their music and merch to help them out until we could have concerts again. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank each and every one of you for your support of the podcast and for telling your friends about it. I make this podcast for you, and it would not exist without your support. We'll be back soon with a new episode, but until then, I hope to see you running around Baltimore. Might have to get a